You are listening to the podcast of the Y Church of the Elk River YMCA in Minnesota. Our mission is to seek Jesus, connect together, and share his love. Let's turn to scripture, 1 Chronicles 13. Thanks, Judy. 1 Chronicles 13, verses 12 to 14. David was afraid of God that day and asked, How can I ever bring the ark of God to me? He did not take the ark to be with him in the city of David. Instead, he took it to the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite. The ark of God remained with the family of Obed-Edom and his house for three months, and the Lord blessed his household in everything he had. Thank you, Judy. Well, one of the things I love about reading the Bible is it feels like there is always something new to discover. And this can happen whether you're reading a familiar passage and all of a sudden you see something, you know you've read it a million times, but you're seeing something with fresh eyes for the first time. Or you're turning to a part of Scripture you've never explored before. There is always something new to discover. And I find that God speaks to us as we flip through these pages, often as we fumble our way around and we explore his word. And today might be one of those days where we all get to learn something new. I've been looking for an opportunity for us to explore this story about a little-known character named Obed-Edom. But one of the things that I really like so much about Obed-Edom is that nobody's heard about him. He's not famous And so that, I think, makes him so relatable. And so we open up this story, and we're going to find today just a regular guy from a regular family. He's not the hero of a story, but he is faithful with what God puts before him, and God blessed him. So today, I've been looking for this Sunday. We could have just one Sunday to do this. Labor Day weekend is it. We'll explore the story of Obed-Edom. And it's going to take us into this book of the Bible that is probably equally obscure, First Chronicles. In fact, in 15 years since seminary, I have never preached a message before from the book of First Chronicles until today. So today is a first for me as well. But today is a great day to make some new discoveries and get to know this guy named Obed-Edom. What we're going to do over the next few minutes is look at three scenes from his life. We won't look at every passage where he pops up, but we're going to make our way through three different spots in First Chronicles from chapter 13 all the way to 26. That's the thing about this guy is he's not a character where there's whole chapters dedicated to him, but he just pops in and out of the story for these little appearances, and they paint a picture of an ordinary person who is taking next steps in his faith, next steps in his relationship with God. So let's look at this passage. I encourage you to have this open in front of you. It's going to be best to be able to follow along. First Chronicles 13 is where Judy read for us, but I want to tell you a little bit about what's going on in the background to kind of set the scene for this introduction to Obed-Edom. In First Chronicles 13, we find King David is bringing the Ark of the Covenant back to Jerusalem. Now, very good question might be, what is this Ark? And so we'll answer that real quick. It's not Noah's Ark. That's another Ark. But the word is similar in both instances. An Ark is a container or vessel 
for safekeeping. So Noah's Ark was a really big vessel, a floating big vessel, a boat. And the Ark of the Covenant is much, much smaller. It was a gold-plated wooden box. And I found a replica. Indiana Jones did not find the Ark of the Covenant. So this is a replica of what it would have looked like. It's gold-plated, this wooden box that God instructed his people to build and carry with them starting in the wilderness. Now inside that ark, this large wooden chest, were three things. We've got the tablets of the Ten Commandments, a jar of manna, and Aaron's rod. And the rod was like a shepherd's utility tool. More importantly, God said about this ark that his presence would be with it and in it. Now, not as if God is contained in a box by any means, but God was giving his people a visual symbol that he was with his people. And in a sense, you can see how this foreshadows Jesus. What's Jesus called? Emmanuel, God with us. And that's what the ark is communicating. So the ark in the Old Testament is the mobile predecessor to the temple that will be built eventually in Jerusalem. It was to be treated with utmost care, just as God prescribed, because it represented him. It represented his holiness and his presence. And so this is this, is this visual aid that God is using. We are sinful and fallen human beings, and yet God comes to us in our midst. And God is perfect and holy and righteous, and those truths are encapsulated in the ark and how it's to be handled. So years before we get to 1 Chronicles 13, something happened with the ark in battle. It was stolen by the Philistines. And they captured it and they took it home. And as soon as they get it back into their territory, everything for the Philistines goes haywire. So we have these interesting Old Testament stories where their god, an idol named Dagon, keeps falling over in his temple. They put him back up and Dagon eventually is busted in pieces. The other thing is that people are getting sick. The Philistines are getting sick and many are dying. And the Philistines start to connect the dots. And they realize we have messed with the wrong God. And we got to get this ark out of here. And so they go to drop it off. They drop it off north of Jerusalem in a town called Kiriath-Urim, which is six miles north of the capital. And there the ark sat for 20 years. Fast forward to David. David is described as a man after God's own heart. David becomes king and he realizes, hey, this is a problem. The ark is sitting six miles north of town and it's being totally neglected. And that's not right. It should be here in Jerusalem at the center place of worship. So in 1 Chronicles 13, he goes to retrieve the ark with a whole crowd of people, and he's going to bring it down to Jerusalem with fanfare. So they put the Ark of the Covenant on a cart, and the cart is being pulled by two oxen, and they start up the band, and they start parading their way down to Jerusalem, but the oxen stumble at some point. And there's a guy named Uzzah, U-Z-Z-A-H. Uzzah reaches out, to steady the ark, to like catch it from falling as the oxen stumble. And touching the ark is expressly forbidden. You go back to Numbers 4 and you would see that. And Uzzah dies on the spot for touching the ark of the covenant. 
I don't know if you've heard that story before. If you have, you maybe wondered about it. It's a tricky passage, and we don't have some of the details we might want to know about. We don't know much about Uzzah or his life or what he was thinking when he did this, but it says very clearly in the text that the Lord's anger burned against Uzzah and he struck him down. It's a hefty passage. That is followed by King David, who is now ticked off. He is angry because of what God did to Uzzah. It says right before Judy picked up that reading that David was angry because God's wrath had come down on Uzzah. And we might very well be sympathetic to that. And that might, we'd have a whole different message on Uzzah in this story. But what I want you to see is the ripple effect that happens Because David decides to take offense at God. It starts with him not understanding what God has done, which, by the way, is perfectly fine. God's ways are higher than our ways, and we will not always understand what he has done. But instead of choosing a path of humility and trust, even when we don't understand, David lets his misunderstanding turn into anger, and then anger turns into what? And this is where Judy started reading. Verse 12. David was, say it with me, afraid of God that day. He was afraid of God, and he asked, how can I ever bring the ark of God to me, to Jerusalem, is what he means. Anger turns into fear, being afraid of God. There might be situations in your life where you are puzzled, or wondering why God has allowed such and such. And in many ways, that wondering and that wrestling is so welcome with God. If you just read the Psalms, many of which were written by David, you would see this. How we, we can pour out our heart to God and we can ask Him why. But there is a distinct shift that happens when we start second-guessing the ways of God. And start accusing him of error. When we know what would have been better. And we take offense at what God has done or what he has not done. That's what happens to David in this story. And you can see this ripple effect, this progression. His anger alienates him from God. And then he's afraid of God. Why is that? Because now he doesn't know if he can trust God. And it's David's fear that causes him to change plans and ultimately to miss out. Instead of bringing back the ark to Jerusalem like he planned, David is now on to plan B and he decides to stash it somewhere else. Verse 13. He did not take the ark to be with him in the city of David. Instead, he took it to the house of Obed-Edom the Gittite. So here's our guy. There's his introduction the first time we meet him. And we don't really know, did Obed-Edom raise his hand? I'll take the ark at my place. Or was he voluntold by the king? Or did it just so happen that where this happened with Uzzah, you know, his house was nearby? We're not sure, but somehow Obed-Edom ends up with the ark of the covenant. His name doesn't mean a whole lot. Obed means servant or serving And Edom is just a place name in the Bible. So there's nothing remarkable there. But look where he's from. It says he's a Gittite. A Gittite is someone from the city of Gath. 
like a, a Muscovite, is someone from the city of Moscow. He's a Gittite. And who else, I wonder, came from Gath? Do any names come to mind? Who else was from Gath near this story? Goliath, the giant. And here Obed-Edom is from the same town. Two guys with two very different stories. One is infamous for defying God. The other isn't half as well known, but he welcomed the presence of God into his house. And what's the result? Look at verse 14. The ark of God remained with the family of Obed-Edom in his house for three months, and the Lord blessed his household and everything he had. Do you see what David missed? He missed the blessing of God. Now, why wasn't Obed-Edom afraid? I mean, he was probably there. It seems that he would have been there when Uzzah died on the spot just for having touched the ark. How many of us would take something like that into our home? I don't think I could keep half my kids alive if we had something like that. (laughs) Just this morning. Don't touch your brother. You know? The blessing that's talked about here is probably a visual flourishing of Obed-Edom's household. And it's interesting, you know, there can be like prosperity preaching that just runs away with this, which we're not meant to do. But this is meant to be a visual sign that the God of Israel is here. His livestock became state fair champions. His crops were flourishing. His bank account was going up. His kids were all doing well. His whole life was prospering And that, of course, caught the attention of David, six miles to the south in Jerusalem. To the point that in chapter 15, David decides to give the ark another try. So our next little station is chapter 15. 1 Chronicles 15, David decides to get the ark, and this time he's going to do it right. And it's actually in reading chapter 15 that gives us the insight about what went wrong in chapter 13. For starters, the ark should have never been put on a cart or pulled by oxen. That was a Philistine practice, and that was not the way to move the Ark of the Covenant. Secondly, it was supposed to be carried by the priestly clan of Levites who were called the Kohathites. But they hadn't done that in chapter 13 either. We know, we don't know much about Uzzah, but he was not a Kohathite. Now, these might seem like small details to us, but if that's the case, it's probably just because the context is so foreign and we might be unfamiliar with some of this Old Testament background. But the picture that's portrayed is that David and his parade in chapter 13, where everything went wrong, was really pretty slipshod. They were really pretty careless and they didn't take God's holiness seriously. So in chapter 15, David says, this time we're going to do it right. And he gets 120 Kohathites, along with all the other Levites. There's no oxen this time. There's no cart. And they're going to go and get the ark. And this is where Obed-Edom makes a surprise appearance again. And what I like to do, so some of you have your Bible open in front of you. We'll put a few things on the screen I'm going to read a longer portion that is going to challenge 
is going to challenge my pronunciation because there's a whole bunch of names. And you know when we talk about this with our scripture readers, just pretend you know how to pronounce it. Nobody will know the difference anyway. So that's what I'm going to do. And I want you to listen. I'll read pretty quick. Listen for these things. In fact, kids, you might want to count how many times do you hear the name Obed-Edom. And the other thing you're going to listen for is what job is he doing? So here we go. First Chronicles 15, and I'm going to start in verse 16. David told the leaders of the Levites to appoint their fellow Levites as musicians to make a joyful sound with musical instruments, lyres, harps, and cymbals. So the Levites appointed Heman son of Joel, from his relatives Asaph son of Berechiah, and from their relatives the Merarites, Ethan son of Cushiah. And with them, their relatives next in rank, and I'm going to read a little faster now, if I may, Zechariah, Jaziel, Shamiramoth, Jehiel, Unah, Eliab, Benaiah, Maasiah, Mattathiah, Eliphelahu, Mikniah, Obed-Edom, there he is, and Jael, the gatekeepers. We keep reading, verse 19. The musicians, Heman, Asaph, and Ethan, were to sound the bronze cymbals. Zechariah, Jaaziel, Shemiramoth, Jehiel, Uni, Eliab, Maasai, and Benaiah were to play the lyres, according to the Alamoth. And Mattathiah, Eliphelahu, Mekniah, Obed-Edom, there he is again. Jael and Azaziah were to play the harps. Verse 23. Berechiah and Elkanah were to be doorkeepers for the ark. Shebaniah, Jehoshaphat, Nethanel, Amasai, Zechariah, Benaiah, and Eliezer, the priests, were to blow trumpets before the ark of God. Obed-Edom and Jehiah were also to be doorkeepers for the ark. Last verse, 25. So David and the elders of Israel and the commanders of units of a thousand, it's a lot of people, isn't it, went to bring up the ark of the covenant of the Lord from the house of Obed-Edom, with rejoicing. Kids, how many times did you count? Four. You got it. So let's recap. The ark has been at Obed-Edom's house for three months. His whole household has been flourishing, but pay attention to this. Now he has found something better. Being in the presence of God. So the ark is moving out, Obed-Edom says, I'm going too. Wherever God is, that's where I want to be. And what jobs did we see him doing? A couple different jobs. First, he's a gatekeeper. And then the word doorkeeper, it's actually the same exact word in Hebrew. So doorkeeper, gatekeeper. And where's John? He's playing on the worship team. If we could get a harp, you know, that'd be great. Sometimes mix that in. But do you see what this means? Obed-Edom is living his best life at home. Things have never been better, but he leaves it all behind to be in the presence of God. And we read this story, and it reminds me of Psalm 84. We're going to sing this song to close the service, by the way. Better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of the wicked. 
Obed-Edom is saying, I will be a doorkeeper all the live long day. Just let me be in the presence of God. By chapter 16, we're not going to turn to that one, it appears that Obed-Edom has moved permanently with his family to Jerusalem to be with the ark. And that's where we stay, or that's where they stay until we get to the end of the story in 1 Chronicles 26. So this is our last little spot we're going to check out. In the closing section, a number of chapters at the end of 1 Chronicles, it says that David is old and full of years. And he's coming to the end of his life. He's passed the baton of leadership to his son Solomon. And at this point, at the close of 1 Chronicles, David now, this old man, is taking stock of all those who will serve in the temple that Solomon is about to build. Chapter 26 gives us record of the gatekeepers. So let me read, and we'll keep our eyes peeled one last time. The divisions of the gatekeepers. This won't be on the screen, but we'll read from verse 1. From the Korahites, Meshelamiah, son of Kor, one of the sons of Asaph. Meshelamiah had sons. Zechariah was the firstborn. Jediel the second. Zebediah the third. Jathniel the fourth. Elam the fifth. Johanan the sixth. And Elohoni the seventh. Verse 4, Obed-Edom, here he is 11 chapters later and he's still showing up. It says he also had sons. Shemaiah the firstborn, Jehozabad the second, Joah the third, Sakar the fourth, Nathanael the fifth, Amiel the sixth, Issachar the seventh, and Pulathai the eighth. Parenthetical reference, for God had blessed Obed-Edom. Look at this. All these years later, and they're still talking about how God blessed Obed-Edom. And if you and I were Hebrew speakers, we would see that the way he named his sons points back to this very blessing. Some of their names translate bestowed by God, given by Yahweh. I love this one, man for hire. Like, Lord, I will do whatever job you want. And his last son's name means recompense, to return in kind. God, I just want to give back to you what you have given me. It is all yours anyway. And then we have this wonderful closing paragraph that follows. I want you to watch for descriptions of this family. This is the last thing we'll read, verse 6. Obed-Edom's son Shemaiah also had sons. They were leaders in their father's family because they were very capable men. The sons of Shemaiah, Othni, Raphael, Obed, and Elzabad, his relatives, Elihu, Semachiah, were also able men. All these were descendants of Obed-Edom. They and their sons and their relatives were capable men with the strength to do the work. Descendants of Obed-Edom, 62 in all. That is what you call, my brothers and sisters, legacy. And I want to ask you, at whatever age and station of life you find yourself in, 
Do the decisions that you make today affect the future generations of your family? Yes, they do. Big and small decisions. The decisions of an ordinary life. What are the kind of decisions Obadiah made? I'm going to welcome God's presence into my home. I'm going to go where God goes. I'm going to sing God's praises. I'm going to join the worship team if I have to. I'm going to welcome others at the door. I'm going to guard the integrity of God's house. I'm going to raise up the next generation of gatekeepers. Whatever it is in your context, the story of Obed-Edom is a testament to an ordinary life that is yielded to God. You feel like you have a pretty ordinary life? It doesn't matter to God. You can yield it all to Him and watch what He'll do. Let's bow our heads together in prayer. Father God, thank you for this day. Thank you for who you are and what you do. And Lord, thank you for what we can learn from the life of Obed-Edom and for just your ongoing pursuit of relationship with people you've created. Lord, we look around in our community and thank you for the beginning of a new school year for those who've got a few days under their belt already and those starting this Tuesday, God. We just lift up again each and every student and educator and those working in schools, God, for your peace, for your protection, for your provision in all ways, God. And Lord, we look around our country too and we just ask and seek you for your continued guidance, your leadership, your wisdom, God, that as a nation our hearts would be warm to you, turned toward you in obedience and submission unto your Lordship, Jesus. And Lord, it's such an honor to be able to send out Bjorn from us overseas. And Lord, we just thank you again for his time abroad. And we ask for your hand of protection over him and just providing his every need and just working through the people that he's connecting with and partnering with. That This would be such a fruitful and meaningful time for him and those he is working alongside of and serving. Please join me in reciting the Lord's Prayer together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Y Church podcast. For more information about the Y Church, check us out online at thewychurch.org.